and gentlemen, welcome to the From the Back Tees podcast, a podcast from the Back Tees. I'm your co-host, Jerry Liu, and with me, as always, is our intrepid founder, Zachary Penser. Zach, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. I've been waiting for you to finally sing part of the song, and we finally got it. How about you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no comment. Yeah. No comment, uh, no comment from the counselor. <laughs> <laughs> Plead the fifth. Well, I mean, it's Kenny Loggins, baby. All that background stuff sounds great. So, I mean, it's just like, you know, be the ball, be the ball. I mean, it's 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 corny because that was back in the day and age when artists would make an actual album, you know, for a movie. Like, I mean, it's very common. So it's like Kenny Loggins is, shoot, the more you look at the, his body work, you're like, those are all like, like footloose for crying out loud. Like a lot of hit movies that weren't necessarily about dance or whatever, but it's just like there's a lot of popular music out there and they were all major movie themes. Yet you don't look at him as like Randy Williams or, is that the Disney guy? Randy Williams. I'm not Randy. familiar with oh, one. Oh, it could oh, be. Everyone's like everyone's yelling at their uh, uh, their phones and their car stereos right now. That's um, Randy Newman. Randy Newman. I'm sorry, Randy Williams. I was thinking Andy Williams, that guy in Branson, Missouri. Anyway, Zach, sorry about that. Uh, we want to thank Michigan Sports Entertainment for being their golf podcast and making sure we do our best to provide you just the best in pop culture to golf content and vice versa and when they everything in between and when they cross sometimes. So we got a few. We didn't get any Twitter questions, but between I got a few Facebook posts and some texts from friends of mine and my mother. Uh, I got a whole bunch of uh, decent golf questions that could lead to some fun stories when it comes to uh, golf equipment. We're just going to do a little equipment talk <clears throat> before that. We are going to talk a little bit about Max Homa and what he did last week. And then we're going to give a quick shout-out to our teammates and what they picked for the tournament coming up. And then we'll talk equipment. But Zach has something very special that we will be tacking on to this podcast, which is going to be very truncated, very short one. You know, We're just going to give you a Reader's Digest, or a Listener's Digest, rather. But Zach, what is going to be immediately following our two terrible voices? Drum roll, please. I'm not going to do it on this table I'm on. I'm on, I'm on a makeshift table right now. Oh, so. so at the end of this podcast, uh, we have a great interview that we got with Taylor Pendrith from uh, Canada, fellow Canadian. He's on the McKenzie tour slash web.com tour, sort of playing on both, making his way up to the PGA tour. And he's a great young player, bombs it off the tee, and uh, is sadly a Maple Leafs fan. He's anti-Duffner. He hits bombs. Hey, you're not a hockey guy, but he's uh, he's a Maple Leafs fan, so I have to chirp him on that. I know that doesn't mean he's just a fan of syrup and or, and or your flag and a certain type of tree. I know what the Toronto Maple Leafs are. It's Toronto, right? It's not Moscow. Yeah, close. <laughs> Toronto's the capital of Russia. Sorry, I felt, I felt clever. Well, one of those countries to break off from Russia is called Georgia, and we have the, uh, the Masters there every year. So. It's true. One, so anyways, day, one year they'll move it to the country Georgia out of nowhere. You know, that would make for a fun like little sketch or like little side joke or bit or whatever. I mean, I, I wanted to write a golf TV show that was kind of just like Caddyshack sitcom, so to speak. And one of the special characters I really wanted to work on was a groundskeeper. But there were two things that I had to make in his character. that were, We'll get back to um, the, this Taylor interview real quick uh, here, quick tangent. But there were two characteristics this ground crew was meant uh, the, the Head's greenkeeper had to be. He couldn't be like American. Like he couldn't just be like. I mean, you couldn't sound just like us or whatever. Excuse me, like just like nothing. Because I feel like I sound like nothing. Because I'm, I'm American. I'm raised. We say duh and huh a lot. That's about it. But uh, and dude. But uh, <laughs> the um, 
the I, I wanted him to be like Russian or like some crazy nationality where like grass doesn't grow very well. So that kind of carried over into he wasn't one of those superintendents who loved his job. He hated the fact that golfers were tearing up the ground. It was kind of like, but he just kind of sat there stewing and boiling the whole time. Like this could be like really funny, like a very angry, seething. Like it's like the meter maid watching everybody not get tickets, and he's just sitting there like mother, mother, somebody. But um, but anyways, interview with Taylor Pendrith gonna be how long is it gonna be at the end of the? Yeah, it's minute? great. It's like a twenty minute interview, but honestly, you should listen to it all. He gives some great insight on what it's like trying to make it up on the tour. He's great buddies with Corey Connors, so he talks about that. He was actually also there to see Tiger win the Masters this year. So he really has a lot of great insight, and uh, it would not surprise me in the least to see him out on the PGA Tour in a couple of years. Well, how old is he? He's 27. 27. And you said he went to university with Corey Connors, right? Yeah, he went or to Kent State with Connors. Kent. Oh, oh, that's, you know what, that's adorable, because when you were telling me earlier in the pre-show runner that um, he uh, went to university with somebody, I was just kind of like, oh, well, tell me where that is, because that must not be in America, but that's still like... I, I, you know what, I would say, and I'm not calling myself better than other people or whatever, if somebody went to college outside of America, I wouldn't call it college. I'd just be like, whatever the hell you call that building. And if it was in England or whatever, I'd be like, university, right? Jeez, I mean, college, asshole. <laughs> what? That's it. It's a dumb word, college. Yeah, no, but he went to school with Mackenzie Hughes, another Canadian player. And, oh, hell yeah, uh, I love her. Connors, he lived with for four years. Mackenzie Hughes is a female. I always, but I just keep getting mixed up to think of the Mackenzie tour. I'm like, oh, it's not her tour. I mean, I've never so been more you, confused. Well, <laughs> I don't know if sorry. that was a joke or you think Mackenzie Hughes. Oh no, the uh, the thing cut out. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say, Mackenzie Hughes? I don't know if that was a joke. They thought it was a girl. No, I was joking. Okay, good. See, sarcasm. Can't tell sometimes. Oh, my bad. So, so hopefully this, uh, I mean, this is a great interview. All these interviews leading to uh, other people. I don't want to say bigger names or bigger stars, but leading to other people is a lot of fun. So, Oh, Taylor yeah. is great, yeah. He has to teach me, though, how to hit it so far. Apparently his driving distance is around 320. Good grief. Ooh. Yeah, that's not normal, you know. Jumbo jet. Ooh, that's a big one. Yeah. So... So let's get right to it. Uh, Max Homa, he is, uh, we know a lot about him, the new winner, uh, the latest winner on the PGA Tour. I I didn't write it down, but I saw the graphic. One of many guys, Anthony Kim being one of them, to get their first PGA Tour win at the Wells Fargo. And honestly, it's uh, it's really neat because he's, because he's a good social media presence on Twitter He's been around the block for uh, a year or two in terms of like, you know, sniffing around leaderboards and making cuts and whatnot. He's really, uh, he's really a sweet dude. And uh, I remember he and I tweeted, he tweeted at me when I told him I picked him for a tournament once uh, a while back or whatever, talking about essentially when I tweeted golfers saying I picked them, it's more so saying, hey, don't lose me money. I mean, I'm just like, I'm pretty aggressive like that. And did they but, always lose you money? So far, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Gary, Gary Woodland almost got me a lot of go earlier this year, and Matt Kuchar, I just picked them at the wrong times, but uh, DJ as well. But if you It's go like back a curse if you tweet them, they're done. Yeah, oh, dude, my middle name is Jinx, That's and, and I'm a caddy. I try not to talk to the ball while it's in the air, for crying out loud, I mean. Amazing. Is it? 
<laughs> yeah, so it was a great win. I'm surprised that you said there's been so many first-time winners there because it sort of strikes me as a course that there's been a lot of past winners or big well, names. The, what, what course was it again? Uh, Quail Hollow. That's what I thought, yeah. I mean, okay, I'm right. has, it always, has it always been at Quail Hollow? I can't say for sure, but I think so. Well, I mean, we don't have to we don't have to look it up now or anything like that. I was just curious. I mean, ultimately, uh, that's uh, yeah, Quail Hollow. I, that course. So essentially, what I like to do when it comes to these tournaments is there's a big like I don't like I, there's a trend at Quail Hollow that the big hitters really tend to how you say like the bomb and gougers really tend to do well there. So unless you like really grow up the rough or really firm up the greens or make them faster, it not too many like that's why honestly. I don't want to talk bad about Portrush, but I'm really looking forward to this PGA Championship because Bethpage is a very, very, very tough course that demands you carry the ball long in many situations. Most of them are mandatory. Like the, like I always talk about the dreaded 10th tee, where back in the day it was 285, 290 to carry the fairway. And now technology's gotten better. Everyone's always tightened up their courses. I don't know what Zach Johnson's going to do. Anyways, that being said, um, oh, but my buddy just uh, – nah, Okay, good question. Thanks, buddy. We'll, we'll address that later. So uh, that's for the equipment portion. So, Zach, what do you know about Max Homa? So I guess it's a good win for our guys, you know, the, the Twitter folks and the social folks, because he's a, he's a big Twitter guy. I've been following him for the last couple of years, even when he wasn't playing so much on tour, especially not doing well. Big no-laying-up guy, too. I mean, yeah. And- that- whether I promote another podcast or not, if I say it, that means it's worth checking out. And if you guys don't know who No Laying Up is and you listen to us, then God bless you. But I mean, seriously, I even I still listen to No Laying Up. I pick and choose some episodes, but yeah, but he missed seventeen of nineteen cuts, I think, a year or two ago. He's really just battered out. And one of the things which I actually brought up in the interview with Taylor is how there's such a minuscule difference between winning on the PGA Tour. <laughs> And winning on the McKenzie Tour, where he even said that anyone who wins on the McKenzie Tour, if they brought that quality of game to the PGA Tour, he thinks it would be a top 10 every week. It's it's funny because I think that speaks to the level of competition. Not necessarily, I mean, it, oh God, how do I word this? It has and hasn't made everyone better in terms of how good you have to be to get to the top. It's more so high tide raises all boats, where instead of 250 to 300 guys who are good enough to play on tour, there's now... 550 to 600 guys who are good enough to play on tour, and just that the other tour that they happen to be on is a lot less uh, uh, fiscally um, as as like lucrative as the PGA Tour, a lot less glamour, et cetera, so forth. But yeah, I mean, I've seen up close and personal American collegiate golfers, and Jesus, these guys are amazing. And they, and I look at it like, and they haven't even started their grind yet or, or their career if they choose to go down professional. It's golf. like no it's, difference. Ooh. It's like a couple of good breaks here and there, and you're on the PGA Tour for three years, and or you could be grinding it out. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. So so Max Homa, I remember one of my favorite tweets of his was when Justin Rose first this year announced his deal with Hanma. Max Homa tweeted something. I don't have it in front of me. I just thought of it just now. Tweeted something to the degree of. I've never gotten this many Google searches or tweets in my life because Homa and Hanma is, are obviously one letter apart, and that was pretty good. And now that he's, <laughs> which was just a very astute and observant on his behalf, obviously. But and then there was a lot. He used to fight back at a lot of guys who called him Max Homo. Like a lot of people called him that pretty badly or whatever. And he didn't go after him, but he like zinged him like a verbal Zorro that he was. But now I've noticed either. 
it's getting scrubbed more from Twitter or he's just not fighting back as much because he's becoming more of a, uh, you know, a figure and you should, don't need to do that. Like, like uh, Christian Bale said, is Dick Cheney and Vice, uh, you know, like touch. Or what was it? What did he say? Uh, it's softer touch. He's a softer touch. Just, that's it. It's like Rumsfeld's like, oh, can we do this? We do this. Why don't we do this? It's like softer touch. That's it. Softer touch. That's all you need. <laughs> well, anyways, um, that'd be fun. We could do a movie podcast. I mean, shoot, now that you are nice enough to give me this microphone or whatever, I kind of, I actually have an idea for another podcast kicking around in my head, but I hate to say it. It's kind of like golf oriented and I don't want anything to be taken away from this. Like the only way I can keep it going is if I made it strictly about what I caddy about, but that's way too personal. And I've thought long and hard of making a, a like an anonymous caddy type podcast, kind of club pro guy style. And I just ruminate so much over the notes that I just can't pull the trigger. It just doesn't work. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of work uh, going through it. Well, I, I, I appreciate uh, you wanting to do it with me, obviously, and us having this idea to put it on the website. That Pendleton whiskey is good. I mean, it's made in America, but it's blended Canadian whiskey. And right. mm-hmm, you, if, you not for that, if not for that Canadian blend, it would probably be garbage. <laughs> no, it would just be different, sir. Oh. And then it'd be garbage. Oh, garbage. <laughs> let's, let's tell the story in order as it goes. Does anyone like the taste of whiskey? That's another thought I've had. Well, okay, I always say, I always akin it to, like, we're kind of engineered, or maybe we just, it's a machismo thing, where I always say, between beer and coffee, two things that are very adult and you have to wait a, long, a while to drink, God forbid, there are two things that taste terrible. It's like, why not Kool-Aid and chocolate milk? I mean, God forbid, diabetics and, uh, and lactose intolerant people, but when it comes to flavor, I mean, those are two very bitter things. I enjoy, co- I enjoy coffee, like a good strong cup of coffee, but I feel like I force myself into it. But I do really appreciate it. I do like coffee. And most beers I taste, like, it's funny when I have, like, a nice-tasting beer, part of me is just like, no, that's like saying like, this is the smartest kid in the class at C-. minus. This still doesn't taste like a flavor I would have with anything unless comparing people it to People get so beer. upset when I say that. The people listening are going to be furious. Like, I love the taste of beer. But you know what? You don't. You know what? They can, they can you know, jog on because, honestly, I could... I have that opinion about it, but I also have every single bottle of liquor on top of my fridge, and I do drink most of them meat or on the rocks. Like, I have no bias against any type of alcohol whatsoever except Curvassier. Only in that, I'll still drink it. I still like cognac, but it's the only liquor I've ever drank that may, I had. I made a face when I was like, when it was in my mouth and swallowing it. I was like, whoa, that is, oh my God. Whew. I just like Jaeger bombs. Besides Jaeger bombs, none of them I want. Oh, yeah? Jaeger bombs, brah? I'm a big Jaeger bomb guy. When I come over there, all the Jaeger bombs. What about uh, Irish car bombs? I feel like you guys would be, or like, no, not Irish car bombs, but like uh, hot alcoholic drinks. Is that a big deal up in Canada? I mean. No, not really. I'd say we drink the same thing as you guys. Tequila, vodka. Well, and you make great beer. Speaking of, I'm catting, I was catting today for uh, some people who are, uh, I think it was the head of uh, Widmer Brothers, Widmer, W-I-D-M-E-R. Uh, it's a great beer. Um out of Portland, Oregon. They were founded in 1984, so I would say they're not one of the startup breweries, but they've been around. You, they, they're they're famous for their Hefeweizen, so mm. that was just random. But uh, anyways, so anything else uh, real quick we want to address about uh, the tournament last week before we get into... Uh, no, I mean, I it, was, it was great. He won, and one of the cool things, he sort of, he was in the final group with Rory, or the second to last group with Rory on round three, outplayed him. And really, really, the pressure didn't get to him, and, or at least he didn't show it. 
No, I mean, most of these guys are good enough to be fighter pilots, even the schlubby average guys, if you think about it. that's that, I think that speaks to, like, a new thing of, like, how you said the McKenzie Tour has so many guys that are, like, ready. It's like, yeah, you just have all this. It's like basketball teams can only dress down 12 guys. I mean, a game, so to speak. I mean, it's just, just the way it goes. I bet they have 18 guys that are really good. You just can only dress down 12. It's, that's why it's called cuts, so to speak. But, um yeah, Homa's got game. I mean, I don't know if he'll win a major. Do you think he'll win a major? I know he'll win at least one or two more tour events. He's solid. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't put him in the conversation now, but he's still young. He could uh, surely get up there and look. Win we one. live in a world. We live in a world where the man who has won the most in the past ten years, Dustin Johnson, still only has one major. Jim Furyk, who is in like the top five for earnings all time, and just now was a Ryder Cup captain. And he's been playing since the, like the beginning of since we can remember. Only has one major. That one major club is crazy. I mean, there's uh, Charles Moody or yeah, Keegan Bradley's won a major. Martin Keimer, how about that? Yeah, but I was gonna name a uh, 1969 U.S. Open Open winner. Um, uh, I, I don't want to mess up his first name. His last name was Moody or Cootie. I think it was Moody, but he was a former uh, Army drill instructor. Really didn't win much or whatever, and has. And just this one major in 1969, he won the U.S. Open, and uh, he just came through or whatever. You got, uh, and then you got guys like Tom Kite, who was essentially the Dustin Johnson of back in the day, and that he won so much money. And all he has to show for it is the 92 U.S. Open, which was one of the biggest, like, like bare-fisted brawl golf tournaments, at least in the modern era, like before people wore wet woolen suits and had very shafted clubs and could only hit the ball so far. I mean, that the 1992 U.S. Open at Pebble was be brutal. Yeah, it's so competitive, I generally would not rule anybody out. Fair enough. I, I, I get that. Like, I, I feel like Spider-Man. Everyone gets one. Which so. is awesome, though. It's like you have the, the like masters, and anyone uh, all the way down to Lucas Beauregard, you could see winning. So. Oh, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So I don't know why I thought of him. We're going to keep this real tight. We've got like 10 or 15 minutes left of this for uh, equipment questions. But real quick, uh, the team had some picks for the AT&T Byron Nelson Classic. Uh, so shout out to the guys who responded. We got uh, Tucker Booth, uh, which, by the way, I've been listening to like all that stuff he's been sending us or whatever. And my God, that this guy is such a, it's such a great, like, even if this is just one-tenth of his, like, uh, attention pie or like his uh, like uh, RPM output for the creative engine that he is. I'm so happy we have that one tenth of him with us. That is so rad. That oh, guy, he's like it, a man of many talents. I don't want him to beat me out for like hosting the podcast or anything like this. No, you got good. this. You got this. He's good. Uh, anyways, I can go on about Tucker for a while. And Nolan, you're great too. Everyone's great. Speaking of, also, well, Tucker had speed at 15 to one. These guys are great too. Blue Horseshoe likes Patrick Reed at 28 to one. Denunzio. Likes, uh, and I don't know, I should ask you to get Ard Shark up real quick, whatever, but he has Fratelli, and he also had a message I, he deleted in the conversation. I didn't know you could do that, because it was kind of a confusing message, but he mentioned DJ in there, too. So, while you're I like, looking up... I like that Fratelli pick. No, uh, hey, calm your tits down real quick. Uh, while you're looking up the Fratelli pick, I will take Brant Snedeker at 50-1 to 1 or 55-1. to 1. He's at least uh, in the top 10 or top 8 of my machine, and... Um, yeah, I think that's just uh, odd returns. I mean, pretty cool. It's, Snedeker's also a guy who's hovering around there, too. It's just, uh, I don't know, 50, 50 to 1, 55 to 1 goes goes back to my old, like, pennies uh, trick or whatever, where I said, essentially, like, if you bet $1 a year every single week or whatever, and you win once at that 50 to 1 or 55 to 1 guy, you paid for the year. So everything else is yeah. bonus. So for Telly's 85 to 1? I got I a good... be a little higher than that. 
No, he's been he's been good. He's won on the uh, European tour. Well, hell, okay, and you know what? Here's a little sneaker for y'all. Charles Howell the third cranked out at like third or fourth in my machine, and he's fifty to one. But something stinks. Something's a stinky poo poo about that. And you know, you all know I'm a Chucky three sticks guy. I, I I worship at the altar of the man without the major. And he, I don't know, fifty to one, and he's in the top five in my machine. Like it makes me want to knock over the bingo hopper and say, like, where where'd the Z come from? Huh? I mean. Yeah, I got I got my pick though the uh, my Alabama boy the bomber Trey Molinax seventy five oh, to one. I was about to pick Molinax's partner Stallings, but we didn't have too much time, and I didn't really look up the um, the odds on him. But uh, eh, shout out to Stallings just a little bit. So, anything else we want to talk about about the Byron Nelson? We re- it's gonna we're recording this uh, literally like the night before it starts. So <laughs> this is gonna air after. So uh, when all of our guys miss the cut, you could tweet at us. Ha, fair enough. And shout out to Byron Nelson. I once caddied for his personal representative way back in the day. And before Mr. Nelson passed, I did get an autographed picture from the man. That's awesome. That's a funny, it's a funny caddy story for another time, really. It's actually, it was a job that stood out in my head. Didn't matter what this guy did for a living, but anyways. Um, and I might bring up Byron Nelson again, moving on to our next subject here, golf equipment. We're really kind of in a day and age now where we're arguing about tiny little little point zero 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 one like to, to the thousandth and ten thousandth decimal on face thickness and ball covers and multi layers and all this stuff and that, those arguments have really only existed for about fifteen to twenty years. Things really aren't groundbreaking back to like going back to from persimmon to like a steel head club or a metal headed club or much like byron nelson was the first pioneer and people gave him shit for this and it wasn't fair but he was the first pro golfer to win real big with the first steel shafted set of irons and everyone thought it gave him a huge advantage and it turns out no it didn't you had to swing much differently with steel shafted irons than hickory shafted so byron essentially had started a new way of golf and the last thing i'll say about byron nelson was in terms of his accuracy and why they call it the iron byron he's a man who rounds two three and four of a tournament Oftentimes, his tee shot landed right next to his divot from the previous round. That, my friends, is iron striking. Say it, call it unfair. Byron whooped that ass. Byron was so good that he didn't go to the British Open ever to play because if he won, that's when you broke even, like money-wise, and he wanted to make money to buy his sheep farm. And once in 1945, he snapped all those records and won 11, like 11 times, nine in a row, and, and a major and whatnot, or a couple. Anyways, Byron Nelson, amazing. Always one of the greats. So, I'll leave this off because you told me something. You can really help me out with this and feel this. But uh, my mom, we didn't, I guess we weren't all that popular. You guys know everything you want to know or whatever. Nothing controversial. But we put out on some feelers on Twitter a couple times. Didn't get any uh, bites. So, I texted my mother while I was scrambling home from work tonight saying, Hey, Ma, you got any uh, funny golf equipment questions or whatever? Because she's great. She's approaching it from a layman who, not whether she's wanting to try to learn or not, It'd be like me watching, like, uh, downhill skiing professionally or whatever. Like, I, unless somebody's sitting next to me politely answering my few questions, I'd probably be really lost. But she, that's why I encourage all these questions from her. And I'll start this off with, what are the most expensive set of golf clubs you've ever seen? The numbers really vary. Real quick, I saw on Google, Honda has a set of uh, irons that are $50,000. That's 50 with a K behind it. Hanma is a very expensive golf company that doesn't make its presence in America, much like Yonix or Mira. I can't say it's because of cost. Nobody seems to look up the technology and share it publicly, which we're allowed to do. Zach, you know a thing or two about Hanma, other than our, your boy Justin Rose plays them. 
What say you? Yes, so the clubs I use in Florida are actually Titleist clubs. You were expecting me to say Hanma. But this one time we went out and they didn't have the Titleist clubs, so they gave me the one rentals that they had at Hanma at my club. And I'm expecting, like, obviously it makes no difference to me. I stink. That's... That's like going to the rental car place and they're just like, okay, we see you had a small hatchback. Mm, well, we uh, mm, that's a, that's our smallest car. I tell you what, you're good for a free upgrade to a sedan. Mm, yeah. Uh, well, in our lot, and we don't see anything. Uh, all we have is this Ferrari. And they just throw the keys at you. The story gets crazier. So I have the set. It's probably, the instructors were saying it's about a $10,000 set for the entire thing. Like a $4,000 driver. And... I shoot about like a 90-95 consistently. Not a great golfer, and that's from... Uh, humble brag. Yeah, humble brag. Humble brag, I make bogeys. Not a big deal. I make bogeys. We all make bogeys. Everybody makes bogeys. So golfers. I go out. We play seven holes. I make three pars, a birdie, and then my first ever eagle was a chip out from 150 yards with these honmas. So, oh, you told me about the you told me about the eagle and we talked about it on the pod. That was with Hanma. That was with the Hanmas. So I don't know if you're catching on to the moral of the story and what we need to do, but clearly the moral of the story is that I just got very lucky. It pays to pay. Oh, I thought, no, I thought you just very pay. lucky. I, I, you I wouldn't buy them. your game. Which okay, you know what? By the way, I can say this. I don't know if I've said it before because I get buzzed along with these podcasts because we're having a good time and I just keep letting the liquor flow. But. Something I always maintain, and this goes good in the uh, equipment debate, a lot of people, there's two arguments to not playing the Pro-V, everybody, or a top-shelf golf ball. You can't afford it, or which is legitimate. I can test for that. They've been five bucks a golf ball almost on average in some places since they were made 19 years ago. Or the second reason, I'm not good enough to play a Pro-V. Okay, that might make sense in your brain and on paper, but once you put your club head to the ball face, whether you're a 10 handicap, 20 handicap, 30 handicap, I don't care, a Pro-V will take five strokes off your game right away if you're a worse than bogey golfer no five strokes that's crazy I, I'll, I tell you what you and i will think about it off the air but i'll put up a challenge to somebody where i will give you something and it has to be witnessed or tested or whatever where you play two balls in a round one of them can be anything you want it can be a condor make it non-conforming i don't care and you play with a brand new 2019 Pro V right next to it, and I guarantee you, unless you're screwing off on purpose, that Pro V will win by five strokes or better. Mark my words. No, not a chance. Oh, not a what? chance. How can you say no to that? I'm very. It's a hot take. No one, no one sides with me here. But I gotta stick with the gut. The ball does not make a difference unless you're like a professional or like scratch golfer. First, number one, okay, you better get real philosophic real quick, buddy, because number one, the pros, the, the like all the guys who play Titleist Pro Vs on tour right now, those are not the ones that, that we pull off the shelf or that are at country clubs that are available to the consumers. That's a fact, number one. Those balls are a little engineered and souped up just like their irons are specialty designed from like all those trailers and whatnot. Fact. But, oh, you, you tell me why the golf ball does not matter. Because I don't even know how to which way I'm going to hit it. Sometimes it goes left, sometimes it goes right. How do I know the ball is going to help me for that purpose? Fair. That's very, very fair. And a lot of people say, well, if I have a softer ball, won't that spin more? Yeah. But in, in, according to the science and physics of golf, when you compress the ball, not, I'm not saying because let's just say you can't compress the ball and that's what you're working on because you might be a beginner golfer, anyone who's listening. But the whole point is, like, every every time I've played a pro V and I'm literally, I shoot in the mid eighties, like with my eyes closed. That's it. I, I, with my eyes open, I shoot in the mid eighties. Still, it doesn't matter. It's just what I, shoot. but that being said, every time I play a pro V 
I swear to God, I hit straighter and longer drives. I do. It's just, it's just, and, and, and I don't have a special swing or anything. I don't hit it in the. I could concede like, to someone sh- hitting in the eighties because someone hitting in the eighties is pretty consistent. But what about someone who shoots like a one twenty? Look, it's. I guarantee you, if it slices as much as your Titleist Velocity or your Max Fly Noodle or your Nike Mojo or whatever, the Pro V will go ten yards further down the further not into the woods. I'm talking towards target. It adds distance, number one. Why, but it could go the other way. No, 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 no. I know, I know that's the, how the argument, the next argument would pose, and it's very valid. But it doesn't work in this case. What I'm saying is, oh God, there's, I can't come up with a good analogy on the spot here. But it's like, would you rather you're going to slice it in the trees? Would you rather slice it 210 yards into the trees and take a drop by the path with your top flight, or would you rather slice it 225 yards in the trees and take a drop by the cart path? One, you're 15 yards closer. That's what the Provi will get you. It doesn't bring you, it does not buy you accuracy. It does not. But when you hit it properly, when you just happen to connect, everyone connects with that one every now and again, it pays off. I mean, yeah, it's five like shots is a hot take. I'll give you one shot. I lose all my shots putting. Okay, I, you do this. You do this. I don't need to put this challenge out to anybody on Twitter. You I'm going to do, do it. This. Come on. It'll be our first YouTube series, Zach versus but, the ball. And, and you know what? I'll even, I'll even, because I'm not brand loyal, I mean, the the Pro V1's the flagship for, like, good golf balls, and it's kind of what they've done or what everyone wants to be. You can pick, like, TaylorMade, Callaway, uh, Pro V, whatever. You pick a top-shelf golf ball, something that, like, costs as much as, like, the most expensive golf ball costs, and you put it up against whatever you enjoy, Volvic, I don't care, and then that's it. Well, you tell me. Let us also point out that we're not short of selling out, so if any of these golf brands want to sponsor us, they will be the best golf ball out there. They will that's take five point. strokes off your game. We don't care. I love MG golf balls. They go the furthest. <laughs> yeah, oh, Kirkland. Oh, man, they they just find the bottom oh, of the shoot. cup. No, big sellout guys here. I'm getting I'm getting inundated with a ton of questions here on Facebook, real quick. So let's just pour into it. Uh, most expensive clubs is Hanma. Uh, I know right now you can find like, all black Titleist AP3s for fifteen hundred dollars for the set. The clubs that I really like, the title uh, the TaylorMade P790s, go for twelve hundred dollars. And I don't know where the gunmetal black go, but that is my new toy that I will be saving up for. What's the most crazy golf club you've seen before? Um, what I'm thinking mostly is putters. There are these putters that look like car hood ornaments or satellite dishes or like UFOs that are coming at you. Personally, one of my favorite putters of all time is the original Scotty Cameron Futura, the original Futura, the one that like that looked like a oh, oh god, like like a, an antenna, like it, like with like a horseshoe on it or whatever, and it made a clang noise when you hit it. But I never felt a putter better than when it was in my hand. I was like, whoa, this putter's an extension of my arm. Like it's perfectly balanced. Everything is. It's like I'm on ice skates and I'm just like, look, I'm moving without moving. It's just wonderful. Yeah, I What's like the this. Cra- I, I can't give I'm no uh, equipment expert as the people know I'm more the uh, let Jerry answer that kind of question guy but uh, some of the clubs I like you know uh, there was a guy who used to do trick golfing at my club so he had won that bent that was cool oh nice. nice he managed to hit that he had an extra long driver that was cool he had an extra short driver also cool that is cool I, I, I think not to say I think I know who you're talking about, but it's like, I hate to say it, trick, trick golf. They're like ventriloquists. There aren't too many out there, but it's kind of the same act. I mean, oh, it's fine. always. I'm, I'm thoroughly entertained. I mean, like Wesley Bryan, I always thought, like, there's no way to make money at that, but it looks like the most fun because, and anytime I see a trick shot artist, I'm like, why aren't you better than tour pros? I mean, really, you're like, it's like seeing a magician. I'm like, why aren't you in the NBA? Like, you could, like, just be so good. Like the Harlem like, Globetrotters. Yeah, yeah, true. Good point. Uh, <laughs> that's a good one. 
my boy Nate Cooper, uh, restaurant manager at the Gallery at Band Dunes Golf Resort. Uh, Shout out, Nate. Oh yeah, one of my uh, great great buddies. He um, he gave me a text uh, saying, uh, "What do you uh, one length versus standard length irons? Like the step set? Uh, my thoughts, real quick, and I can just be short with it. And that's about it. One length irons are freaking brilliant. They are freaking brilliant. But anybody who's been golfing." You can't do it. You can't use them. If you're starting golf, if you have a kid and you want to spend that kind of money on them or whatever, or you're like whatever age and you're just now into golf and you want to dedicate – you're just now into golf, you're getting better, and you want to dedicate yourself to a brand-name set, take a long look at the one-length irons. The science behind them stands up to me. I don't care if DeChambeau uses them. Like Edel and a couple other companies make one-length irons, and they're very, very good. The science to me is foolproof, and you can at me on Twitter and we can talk about it all day. I'm fine with that. I just it's and it's not one of those things where I'm going to say I'm right and you're wrong. I'm just saying no. I believe in this wholeheartedly. What say you? I'm I'm surprised you believe in it because I actually felt I I guess I'm wrong, but I thought we talked about it and you didn't. Maybe it was someone else, but I fully agree with it. Also, I think it's so advantageous to teach young people to hit with all the same club and the same stroke. It like it just seems to make sense. It seems like something people are trying to yeah. overthink. We might have definitely talked about it before, but like I said, if you're a beginner golfer, then, I mean, uh, if you happen to have the money and you've you got the bug and you could be good and you're that serious, this is the only crowd it really works for. Other than that, it's, I mean, it's just very, I, I'm not going to say gimmicky. It's just, it just is what it is. I, I don't know. I, I had a better point, but I lost it because I'm looking at these questions at the time and I want to wrap this up real quick. Uh, my buddy, uh, David Sorensen, brother David. I don't know where he's working, but I know he's an assistant pro somewhere in the, I hope it's the Los Angeles area, and I don't sound like a dick. But um, he said, what are my thoughts on mid or large grips? I do know a direct science behind this, and that if you have, there's two things to having a larger grip. One, if you have bigger hands like me, I didn't learn this until when I'm hitting with standard grips, the club toe will just turn over my hand because I don't have enough palm and flesh to put on the rubber, so the club just turns over naturally. That's where a bigger grip comes into play. Now, if you get too big a grip for your meat hooks or you have regular-sized hands and you get too big a grip, your wrists are going to stay open on the downswing and through connection and going through, and you are going to slice the ball or at least be open at impact. It, that is a – that I'm sorry, there's another – Bonafide scientific, medical, physical, whatever you want to call it, fact. If you have bigger grips, it's harder to turn the club over. I'm not going to say a lot harder. It's just, just the way it works. And that being said, folks, there's some companies who claim this, that, whatever. Go to Golf Pride. They have a golf fitting questionnaire where all you have to do is just measure a couple things in your hand, answer how sweaty you are, and the type of conditions you play in normally. Seriously. And they have, they'll say, these are the grips for you. And I, I don't use the grips that they, they uh, offered for me. But when I looked at them, I'm like, those are really good grips because I don't have sweaty hands. I only play in these conditions. And every time I grab one, I'm like, these are tacky as hell. All these are amazing. I mean, just golf pride knows how to make grips best out of anybody. So I didn't know if you had any thoughts on the uh, grip sizes. No, you know, I don't have a, I don't have small hands, maybe medium to above average. I got, I got some. Yeah, no, you didn't money. get the joke. You didn't get the joke. Come on. Come on. No, no, I got the joke. That's why I was trying to say real quick, I got giant hands. Yeah, I know. Humble brag. You know what they I say. Brag. I got giant hands, giant feet, and I'm average in height. So that's how it balances out. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, and real quick, a buddy of mine asked me, Riley Michalis, uh these past three guys I talked about, Nate Cooper, Riley Michalis, uh, Dave Sorensen, these are all guys I met in the, uh, at the, uh, Car- uh, excuse me, at the Golf Academy of America down in Carlsbad. Rest in peace, Golf Academy of America. And uh, they're getting me on Facebook here. And Riley says, how about PXG's new lineup? In, in short, 
Riley, I don't know about P- we we me and Zach. I was like, Zach, help me. Tell me about PXG's new lineup. He's like, I don't know. And I'm nope. like, oh, I guess. Well, I guess I can vamp on it a little bit in that I know I don't know too much about the clubs because I never used them or been around them personally. But I know this new lineup, save for something that maybe somebody could fill me in on. He talked about the first time around his clubs being so expensive they didn't need to be that expensive and and I could use titanium screws but then each club would be like a thousand dollars and I don't want to do that but he was saying effort to everything else and I think these new irons were the next stage of effort where he's just like titanium screws ah we're gonna use the space shuttle stuff I mean I I don't know too much about PXG because gosh they don't have, really have like a a marketing presence uh, the guys on tour really aren't winning all that much it, 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 but it it kind of goes to show you in this day and age like if you look at NASCAR there's all these good car brands out there that are all pretty, I don't want to say quote-unquote a run-of-the-mill, but they're all pretty even, Chevrolet, Ford, Toyota, what have you. But it's just like, well, I'm sure Ferrari would be allowed in, but they're not, whether they whether they think they're too good or too snooty or can't make the type of car that uh, qualifies or whatever. They're not putting up a racing team. So part of me looks at PXG the same way, where it's just like, yeah, they got a few golfers in their fold, but they're not winning. Why isn't Ferrari winning the NASCAR races? That might be a terrible analogy. I'm sorry, but... I don't know. All I know about NASCAR is left turn, left turn. Left turn. <laughs> another one all right so that about covers it everything i got for some quick golf questions uh before we leave anything? people we got to leave them with the canadian fun fact to lead into the yes, canadian interview I was just about to say it yeah toss it at me well okay this one's a good one so next time everyone who doesn't know anything about canada decides to ask me like oh i know someone from canada i know joe from vancouver do you know joe from vancouver keep in mind that canada is bigger than the entire European Union. In population or, or acreage. Come on, there's a big difference there. Because Alaska's the biggest... Aha! Alaska's the biggest state in America. And I'm going to wager that it's in uh, bottom 10, or probably bottom 5 in population. Yeah, how many times bigger than Italy do you think Canada is? Off the top of my head, I'm going to say 200. That's a big guess. 33, but... <laughs> oh, wow. I thought Italy was small. <laughs> no, that would have been... <laughs> That would have been a lot of Italy. I feel like Italy. I look like a terrible small... A lot of pizza. Hey, yeah, speaking of that, I got some uh, really good pizza I got to get to here shortly. So uh, anything else you want to add before we bring in uh, Zach Penser interviewing Taylor Pendrith extraordinaire on the McKenzie Tour? What do you got? Uh, You can find me at JerryLooper1 on Twitter or on the website at www.fromthebacktees.com. Michigan Sports Entertainment, we thank you. And Zach... What do you got? You find can find me. me at at from the back tees. And I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Stay tuned. And I know for a fact that we will be, uh, we're about to, uh, we're going to be dropping the t-shirts here for sale soon. Probably after this pot, before this pot airs, but oh my God, you guys check it out. Fire. Coming up next, Zach Pencer interviewing Taylor Pendrick. Thanks for uh, joining us, Taylor. And my first question is definitely not going to be related. I know you're a big hockey fan as a fellow Canadian. Yep. So how is it living with yourself, knowing you're a Leafs fan and it might be another 53 years? Oh, geez. I don't know. It's uh, it's looking promising. I think we're on the upside. Um, the team looked I mean, you have to agree the team looks pretty good this year. No? Yeah, it's, it's very depressing. I agree with you. All my friends say that, but I'm convinced <laughs> you guys will never win. You'll find a way to screw oh, it up. Geez. Although, well, I like Canadians not doing much better. Yeah, we might win another one before you guys do. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll I think have to make a bet, right? 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think they're, I think they're looking pretty good. Um, they got, you know, I mean, they don't have an issue scoring goals now, and uh, I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna be, you know, playoff contenders every single year, and hopefully, hopefully, one of these years they can, you know, somehow get past Boston. I'm sure you have the same hatred oh, yeah. towards Boston as I do. Um, oh, they're the worst. So, yeah, they're the worst. Yeah, so do you consider um, yeah. uh, do you consider the Canadians a big old rival or Boston? That's the big debate now. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say both, but I just I just dislike Boston more than the Canadians, honestly. So we can uh, we I'll can give agree you that on that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah. Uh, before we get that even too serious, I have three quick questions for you. How far yeah. do you drive the golf ball? <laughs> Love that question. Uh, I'd say I'd say an average drive, no wind, uh, three twenty. Jeez, I hate you. Uh, that's my that's my estimate. Okay. Um, yeah, my I mean, I can carry it over three hundred. So. That's crazy. Uh, <laughs> how do you get this done? And could you please teach me? <laughs> Honestly, it's. Uh, I'd say it's a it's a combination of my mechanics of my golf swing and definitely some natural talent that I was born with. Um, I've always kind of been powerful in uh, all the sports that I've played. I I was a pitcher in baseball. I could throw the ball pretty hard, and uh, in hockey I had a really hard slap shot. And you know it it I think they all translate towards golf. And I've always kind of when I, even when I first picked up a golf club, like all these definitely a natural ability mixed with you know some of my mechanics in my golf swing. So um, I'm fortunate for that for sure. Yeah, it's definitely uh, very beneficial nowadays. Only I could hit that far. So growing up in Canada, how do you find the level of coaching and training has changed since when you were trying to reach a professional level? Um, yeah, I mean, I uh, I kind of started basically. I didn't uh, I didn't play in a tournament until I was 16, um, and I didn't have a coach until I was 18. Um, actually, I took a year off of uh, took a year off of uh, or a year off after high school before I went to college, and uh, worked with Henry Brunton, who's uh, you know one of the notable um, Canadian coaches. Uh, he was my first golf coach. And I worked with him for a year, and he's he's kind of the the reason that I went to college. And then once I got into college, uh, I kind of earned my way onto the national team, and I've been working with Derek Ingram kind of ever since. And he's you know obviously produced a lot of great results from players, and he's a fantastic coach. Um, he's uh, he's really great to be around too, kind of off the golf course. Um, he's a really fun guy to to hang out with him and a fantastic coach. And, you know, he knows my game really well and can, can help me if I, you know, if I'm struggling with something and uh, I could just text him at any time and he'll, he'll reply with a, with a grit, you know, he'll give me some, some tips or, or something to work on. And uh, he's definitely, uh, he's definitely helped me a lot over the fa- the past few years. Yeah. Derek's great. I, we interviewed him actually. He was the first person we ever interviewed for the site. So Oh, is we that always, right? Nice. We're always in debt to him. So you're just 27 years old, and you definitely have a lot of golf ahead of you. But what would you say up until this point is your most defining moment? Um, 
there's a couple probably. Um, I'd say when I I was an amateur in my last year of amateur golf, and I played in uh, the Canadian Open actually at Royal Montreal. And uh, that was kind of an eye-opener for me because I shot 65 in the first round and was in third. And honestly, I wasn't playing my best golf leading into that week. And uh, I look at the end of the day, I'm in third place in the Canadian Open um, after the first round. So that was that was an eye-opener for me, just kind of giving me some confidence that, you know, if I play well, I could I could probably compete these guys. Um, at uh, You know, I was still an amateur myself. I think I was 20 one or two maybe uh and uh so that was that was pretty cool to see obviously i there was a ton of stuff going through my mind back then i i you know had to stay for a couple hours after and doing all this media and then get up in the morning and play golf i ended up shooting 75 in in round two made the cut but um yeah it it was a great experience playing that as an amateur um and then i'd say um 2015 playing on the canadian tour uh finished third on the money list and uh gained web status that way um had a lot of close calls that year in 2015 up in canada i, I lost in three different three playoffs um which uh you know wasn't i mean not ideal but learned a lot from it and and uh, can hopefully use use that moving forward but uh yeah, um, I'd say those two for sure, especially the Canadian Open as an amateur, just kind of getting in the mix early on the first day and feeling those nerves and pressure on the second day kind of, you know, helped me a lot uh, going forward. If I get in a pressure, pressure situation, I can I kind of know that, oh, wow, when, when I was back in 2014 at the Canadian Open, I was super nervous and, you know, was kind of, I don't know. I've learned a lot from that and, and hopefully helps me moving forward. Yeah, exactly. I think, was it the third round that you were with Hadwin and was it Harmon, the third guy, or was that the first and I second? I played guy? with, um, yeah, I played with Adam Hadwin and Jim Herman. Oh, was Jim, and Jim Yeah, and then Jim Jim went and won, it, won a couple of years later, I think, or maybe it was the next year. Um, but yeah, so that was a pretty cool, that was a pretty cool grouping. That was day one and two. Um, um, so that, yeah, that was good. Uh, I didn't really know Hadwin too well, and, and that was probably the first time I played with him actually. Um, so it was pretty cool to uh, to to play with him at the Canadian Open, and, and you know, obviously he he had been on tour for a couple of years, and uh, it was uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah, so I know you've had some pretty bad breaks early on. I think you've had two or three pretty bad injuries, which have definitely yeah. stalled your rise up the ranks. And how have you dealt with that? And how do you think it strengthened you to be an even better golfer down the road dealing with that adversity? Um, yeah, it's, I mean it's it's kind of unfortunate for to have suffered those, but I mean everybody is prone to injuries. Um, you know, um, I tore two ligaments in my in my hand and wrist when I was on the web in uh, 2015, and I got off to a, I got off to a great start that year too. You know, I finished fourth in. Uh, in the second event of the year and kind of wanted to keep the momentum going, but, um, I hurt my hand, um, you know, that third week basically and played through it all year, decided to get an MRI and like midway through the year. And they're like, Hey, uh, if we tell you to keep, take four weeks off, but can you do that? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so anyways, played, played through it and, and, uh, probably not the best decision, but you know, it's, all in the past it's uh 
you know, I, I've learned to, um, you know, not, I don't hit as many golf balls anymore just because I don't want to repetitively hit the ground and, and get that injury again because I'm pretty sure that's what caused it. Um, I'm trying to, um, you know, tweak my swing a little bit so I'm not hitting the ground as deeply, I, I guess. Um, so that might help. But, you know, I think I've embraced it and, and you know, I'm, I'm excited for this year um, playing on uh, the McKenzie Tour. Um, you know, I know I've had some success out there and I know all the golf courses, um, a lot of guys out there I've played a lot with. And uh, so I feel comfortable out there. So I'm looking for, looking for a good year. Um, and hopefully gain web, web status by the end of the year and kind of go from there. Um, you know, it takes it's a little longer for different people have different paths and, and uh, I'm embracing it. I'm just excited to uh, have the opportunity to play up there and, and hopefully have some good results. Yeah, exactly. I know there's a ton of ways to make it to the PGA Tour. So I take it your path you're aiming for is the McKenzie Tour to the web.com and then to get your tour card that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the plan right now. Uh, you know, I played, uh, I've been doing a few, uh, web.com Mondays and, uh, in the off season, like the last couple of months, um, I've been playing pretty good. I, you know, I missed, I was in, played in Nashville two weeks ago and, and missed it by one. But, um, so like that was my plan for up until Canada starts, I was going to do the web Mondays. Um, and you know, if I got into an event and kind of got on the roll, that'd be great. Um, I also Monday qualified for the Puerto Rico Open uh, PGA Tour event earlier in the year. Um, I ended up missing the cut, but just kind of been been playing those and keeping sharp. And, you know, if I got on a run, that'd be great. But uh, as it stands now, I'll be back in Canada uh, until, um, you know, uh, until the end of the summer. And, uh, yeah, go from there and, and see. Hopefully end up That's the goal to be in the top five or top ten by the end of the year. Um and uh, gain web web status through the McKenzie Tour. Okay, so I don't know if you heard this recently, but a guy by the name of Tiger Woods won the Masters a few weeks back, and we can't do a golf podcast without talking about Tiger Woods. So I have yeah. to ask you, what do you think of this whole thing, and how are like the other golfers that you talk to, how did they deal with it or think about it? Well, I was on the 18th tee, so that was pretty cool. Really? Um, he was walking. Yeah, I was there. I was I was out watching Corey Collins. Very jealous. Um, yeah, and uh, so we were like, "Okay, hey, we got we got to walk back to the 18th tee. <laughs> we have to." So we all went back. Me, Corey came as well, and and everybody that we were with. And it was impossible to get close to see. Really, we were probably like four rows deep, but right by the tee box. And yeah, it was a pretty cool moment. I mean, I remember being there, and we were up at the clubhouse. Uh, having a beer afterwards and uh, you could just hear the roars and like you knew Tiger was doing something like on 16 when he almost made that hole in one like it was so loud it was it was insane yeah um, that's crazy so yeah it was uh I mean it's 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 awesome to see him win again you know I think it's great for the sport and you know with all that he's been through over the past several years and for him to win another major is is fantastic i think i think everybody's fired up for him um and you know i think he can win again probably too because his game looks pretty damn good yeah yeah you think he has more majors in him i'd like to see him win another one i think uh you know obviously the masters he's had a ton of success and uh but 
he's also had a lot of uh, success at Pebble Beach, so you never know. We'll see. Exactly. So we're going to get to yeah. Corey shortly. Yeah. But first I'll bring up another recent winner, Max Homa. And yeah. he actually sort of has a pretty similar story that he struggled a lot early on in his career. And I'm not sure if sure. you know this, to actually get onto the web.com, he birdied his last four holes at the final event to get his web yeah. status. Then he went on to qualify for the event, and then he ends up winning, which to me, like, blows my mind how there's such a small difference between, like, the McKenzie Tour players and the best of the best that it's like uh, four birdies away from you could be a PGA Tour winner. So, for sure. What do you take of that? And do you think that, like, raises your confidence playing tournaments, knowing that if he could do it, so could I? Yeah, for sure. I, I played, uh, you know, Max played at, at California, and I think we got paired a couple times in college. So, I know him a little bit. I don't, I don't know him all really well, but I was super fired up to see him win. Um, with, you know, obviously he's, he's had his struggles in the past, but he's embraced it and, and, uh, yeah, he battled it out, and what a great one that was last week. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's the line is so thin. Where you know, I say this to people like the guy who wins on the um, McKenzie Tour that week, if they were playing in a PGA Tour event, like they would probably have a top ten. Yeah, it's crazy. Like that's, it's it's really good golf. I mean, last year you saw like. Um, you know, every week somebody was shooting 25 under and it's like, it's not like the golf courses are, they're short. Some, some of them are short, but they're, they're not like overly easy. You still got to score your golf ball. So if you're shooting 20 or 25 to 30 under every week and it doesn't matter what tour you're playing on, you're going to have a good event. So, um, you know, like if you look at Tyler McCumber from last year, he was like one of the hottest companies in the world, probably. He had a fantastic year in Canada and, and he's, playing great on the web you know he just continues his good play and so that's what, that's what i tell people it's like the mckenzie tour definitely has got a lot deeper uh in the, the field strength um you know every cut last year was five six under which so yeah i mean you have to teach you to go low and, and uh you know really pour your golf ball but um yeah you know going back to max that was uh that was an awesome moment i i started up to to see him pull through after kind of the struggle that he's been through in the, in the past couple of years. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, it amazes me how even everyone is. Like, in hockey, if you're the 600th best hockey player in the world, you're playing in the NHL. Right. Golf, I don't yeah. know where the 600th player is. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you mentioned to me that you're really good friends with Corey, Corey Connors, for those yeah. not paying any attention uh i think did you say you lived with him in florida yeah so we uh we were roommates for four years um at kent state um so i know him very well i was his best man at his wedding and uh i'm uh i'm currently dating one of or i'm dating his wife's best friend one of her best friends so it works out pretty good for everybody um but yeah i was living down i was living down in florida with uh with him he just bought a house um down in palm beach garden so i was staying there for the last like three and a half four months and which was great um they weren't really there too much um but when they were there it was, it was pretty fun um but yeah i was 
super fired up for him as well. I mean, he, it was just a matter of time. He hits the ball so so straight and so consistent. And you know, when his when his putting's on, he'll you know have be in contention as we've seen this year. He's had a third, a second, and a win. So yeah, um, I think he and he's had the greatest qualifier. Yeah, I think he's the greatest Monday qualifier in golf history. Oh, absolutely, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I mean. Monday qualify, finished third at the Sony, and Monday qualify and win. It's pretty yeah, good. I think the Monday qualifier yeah. where he won, I think he made like a 30-footer to get into a playoff and then won the playoff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so, so now's a good time to ask. Do you think like he has some spare money he could uh, hand over? I feel like now's the perfect time. <laughs> this would be a good time, yeah. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, what was it like seeing your close friend win win that event? It was awesome. Honestly, I, I was driving to um, I was driving to a mini tour event on the Sunday, and I was in the middle of nowhere, like literally nowhere in in South Carolina, like on I ninety five, okay, going north. And uh, I'm following it on my phone. I just canceled my SiriusXM radio package like the extras, you know, with the PJ Tour radio. Yeah, exactly. Literally two, literally two days before, so I couldn't listen. So I'm on the phone with SiriusXM trying to get it back. Couldn't get it, like, for some reason. I was on the phone with them for, like, an hour, like, like early in the round. Like, it was okay. So I was like, I'm going to be driving, and I'm going to listen to it, right? So I couldn't get it. So then I'm, like, trying to find, like, a, like a bar or, like, somewhere with a TV, basically anywhere in the middle of, like, nowhere like in the middle of the woods in south carolina but ended up um finding a place in like just outside of florence south carolina and i stopped and watched the last four holes um and yeah i mean it was awesome i mean you could see the emotion on mal's face too it was like yeah it, it went was, viral it reaction cool. yeah yeah it was it was awesome i was super pumped so um then anyway i was thinking about oh should i should I go play this mini tour event? It's, it's, you know, four hours more, or should I go to the masters and watch Corey? So I did both. I played the major event and then I went to Augusta. So it was, it was pretty good. Yeah. Was it your first time Corey. ever going? It was, yeah. I've never been there before. It was, it was, pretty, awesome, uh, yeah. it was a good time. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Especially after and he played, first he played round, great was, there too. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. he was leading when he, he was a clubhouse leader after the first round yeah. or when, when he got in. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he had a tough Sunday, a couple of balls in the water, kind of mid round. Um, but I mean, he he played some nice golf, and that place is no joke. He was like, it's, it's yeah. Tricky. First time at Augusta, you can't be too upset. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yes. Yeah, so to close things off, a guy I interviewed, you mentioned before, Derek Ingram. I don't know if you know this, but he said about you that he said. If you didn't get derailed by injuries the past two plus years, he thinks you'd be on the PGA Tour. And as you said, he's a pretty trustworthy guy. You got to go with him. I wouldn't bet against him. So I think everyone listening should be excited to see another Canadian out there soon. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd like to. I'd like to agree with him as well. I just I'm focused on kind of what I got to do this year um, to you know kind of move up to the to the next step and, and keep getting better and you know there's a ton of Canadians out on tour now you know there's I mean probably seven or eight guys I, would, I, I don't know the exact number but I'm assuming seven or eight guys on the 
PGA Tour Canadian guys, and um, yeah, exactly. You know, I'm probably the same, about the same amount on the Web.com tour, and Mike Leggett just won. So, um, a lot of great Canadian talent, and a lot of my good buddies are, are out there, and I'd love to join them. Um, but like I said before, I'm just kind of, you know, embracing it and, and uh, taking it one step at a time. You know, I'm playing up in Canada, which is obviously not where I envision myself playing, but I'm, I'm embracing it. I'm, I'm just going to focus and go try to win some tournaments this year and, and uh, move up to the next level for next year. Yeah, exactly. So the last question I'm going to ask you, it's a bit of a tough one. Who wins first, uh, you on the PGA Tour or the Maple Leafs? Oh, come on. Right, you gotta uh, answer one. Well, unless I get on a hot streak here, I won't be on the PGA Tour for another two years. So, Leafs will also win. for sure you. So Leafs, Leafs. <laughs> also for sure you. Well, I don't like, see how they can lose, lose next year, honestly. Any, anyways, thanks, thanks so much. I know you've been uh, very busy, but thanks so much for making the time, and I really appreciate it. And I'll for sure be following you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great talking to you.